Welcome to Sport Faith Life with Brian Bolt and Chad Carlson, two guys who came together for one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. They are sports scholars, they're coaches, and they're competitive athletes, or at least they were. And together, they've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Welcome to the Sport Faith Life podcast. This is Chad Carlson, Brian Bolt here. Uh, We are continuing our mini-series on the fruits of the Spirit and the cardinal sins. And so we have uh, explored love in sport. Love seemed like an obvious first choice for us, uh, an important fruit of the Spirit, of course. And then we chose gluttony, which offered us a bit more than, than we thought initially. This, these, are not, these are not easy uh, topics. And so today, today the topic for us is we're looking at another fruit of the Spirit as we're going back and forth. The fruit of the Spirit that we chose today is peace. Peace as a fruit of the Spirit. Brian, I am really excited to be talking about this topic. I think there's something about peace that makes me feel peaceful Although I'm worried that I might feel somewhat frustrated if we can't get into this topic like we hope we could. Peace. Hmm. Well, I would just like to say I haven't eaten since the gluttony episode, so it's nice to be back into <laughs> fruit of the spirit. This will be great. Uh, I'm. Is that because it, is that because it's Lent? It's Lent, That's why right? You haven't eaten? Exactly. So yeah. I'm, I'm hungry. Uh, I might be hangry. We'll fi- figure that out. So I could use an, those are unpeaceful feelings. Peace. So we're going to talk about peace in sport. And my initial take on this is usually what we're trying to do is look for to use a really bad pun, the low hanging fruit here, and figure out some of the mm. connections between peace and sport, and then to think about maybe on a different level what are the what are the barriers. To peace and sport, and maybe what are the uh, affirmations? What are the places where we could uh, find more peace in and through or about sport? So, I think you were referring right away, Chad, to a feeling, which is really interesting because biblically, the word peace is much richer than a feeling, mm. but that's what we think about, right? We think of mm-hmm. peace of mind, uh, we think of mm-hmm. uh, sort of tranquility in terms of peace. And like when we think about some of the connections between peace and sport, we might even be thinking about the word in absence of war, right? So there are there are ways to think about peace in terms of uh, geopolitical, uh, you know, sort of perspectives. And immediately, and maybe this is a bad connection, but I think of, because I've done some work studying the ancient Olympics and the idea that city-states uh, that were participating in these Olympics, the either the Olympics or other crown games in other parts of Greece, had to travel, right? You have to get your contingent of athletes and trainers and fans and families and all those sorts of folks. I think they called it a, they called it a posse, right? Those are ancient I posses. So. I think that's that what it was. you're using really technical <laughs> terms here, Chad. So that's, yeah, I think it was a posse. <laughs> Uh, but you had to travel, and I have been to Greece a number of times, and that is not easy travel. It's it's quite mountainous. It's mm-hmm. uh, you know trying to find your way through the passes, and you can expect that uh, behind uh, every tree, uh, every olive tree, and every sort of uh, 
cavern or crevice in the mountains could be danger, right? Could be somebody trying to take you down. So there was this idea of a sacred truce, a peaceful truce, so that athletes and the contingent, the posse, could travel to Olympia. Uh, so just in general, I think that that, that is kind of interesting that in order to play sport, in order to do something, particularly in that case, pretty combative, uh, a lot of those sports were pretty combative. In order to do something uh, contrived and combative, like sport, there needed to be peace. And if we move that forward to the modern Olympics, uh, Pierre de Coubertin and, and his resurgence of the modern Olympics – um, and, and others too, a lot of it came out of, uh, England as well. Uh, Pierre was a Frenchman, uh, that the idea there was also that, that nations would dedicate this, uh, battle, this, uh, on field battle or whatever it is in terms of competition to peace, to peace between nations, to unity. So anyway, those, those are my initial thoughts about peace. I wanted like unpack the word a little bit later, but yeah. what do you think about sort of those those early connections? Yeah, let's let's start with that. I it's interesting that you said that because I was just talking with my class uh, this past week about that very mm. topic. What you said, so the the ancient Olympics, which went on for we think about a thousand years uninterrupted. Amazing. I mean, the sacred truce was sacred and it was ongoing, right? Never missed uh, one four-year cycle for the Olympics in a thousand years in the ancient the ancient Greek world. And you know how how impressive that is from a number of different standpoints. Um, it's interesting that, that you mention um, some of the the brutality and the violence of the events that, of course. that the, you know the truce allowed to to, to happen. Um, but then I think about the modern games, we couldn't even go 20 years in the modern games without war interrupting the mm-hmm. Olympics, right? I mean, and, and it was a thousand years in the ancient world that this this peace that came from this religious festival, you know, the, the festival to Zeus, it was the Olympics. And and so there was something that was, that was um, specifically religious about that, that probably allowed it to occur for that long. And... Um, also allowed for that truce to to, to get, continue throughout that you know throughout the the weeks leading up to the Olympics every four years and then the time during the Olympics so obviously so people could travel safely and then we get to the modern Olympics which are based on the ancient Olympics and World War One and so 1916 we don't have an an Olympiad right it's just it's just crazy how quickly things change and it may have been because of at least in some part because of the absence of a of a religious reason for the modern olympic mm. games but also the the geopolitical nature of the world had changed you know dramatically from you know 380 to to 1896 AD with that first modern olympic game so i think there's something to be said there about peace as the absence of war in sport and and, and being really an, an important thing because because the presence of war, that is the absence of peace geopolitically, has has changed things in the modern world and has impacted sporting events. Absolutely. So we don't have an Olympic Games in 1916 because of World War One. We have no Olympic Games in 1940 and 1944 because of World War Two. And then in 1980, uh, the U.S. boycotts and a number of its uh, uh, democratic allies boycott the the Moscow Summer Olympic Games. And then, of course, there's a tit for tat, and in 1984, the the Soviet Union and, and a bunch of her communist allies boycott the Los Angeles Summer Olympic Games. So, so um, 
uh, a lack of peace has impacted some of these these events, which I think is is probably a, a shallow, but I think I think in some other ways a very important way to to think about peace and sport. Yeah, and I, I um, thanks for that run up. Like that, that's uh, very good to have that um, be something that you taught recently, so that you have a, a good handle on that. Yeah. That's that's super good helpful. Timing, right? Yeah. So and, and I think back to you know just our understanding. I hadn't made the direct connection between it being a religious festival and the possibility that that helped maintain its length and its durability through really difficult times. I mean. Uh, a lot of people will date. Um, it's a little bit controversial, but the the Olympics, the ancient Olympics, back to 776 BC, long before Greece was even sort of codified into uh, a group of city states, right? A collection, which happened uh, hundreds of years later. So these were happening. There had to be commu- tons of communication issues to try to get the word out, so to speak, that these things were happening. And yet they happened every four years. People built their calendar around it. Sort of amazing. And then when you think Greece fell, right? Greece fell to Rome um, around, you know, 160 BC, somewhere in there. My memory's a little murky on that one. But moving forward, then the, the Romans decided this is such an institution. Uh, let's continue, right? So that continued well into the time of Christ and then after and uh, ended ultimately with the idea that this is a pagan religion, right? This is a, this is a mm-hmm. festival to pagan gods and uh, with Christianity becoming the sort of the law of the land, uh, that was the end of the Olympic Games, a thousand year run. So amazing that uh, that all held together in that space. And like you said, it just, uh, the modern Olympics just couldn't stomach all of that. And and I think every time now that the Olympics comes around, Winter Olympics, Summer Olympics, this is a part of the conversation. Somebody, some country is deciding we're not participating for this reason or for that reason. And the possibility of canceling or boycotting always comes up. So uh, I think it's a it's indicative of the need to be able to play. There needs to be peacefulness, right? And there needs to be opportunity to engage in what could be combative events. We no longer have the pancration, which was uh, this combination of wrestling and, and boxing. Uh, but we have something pretty close. Uh, we have a number of sports that are really close to that. Uh, so uh, we're no strangers to uh, really violent com- combat uh, in our sport. So I think um, when I when I push this just a little bit further, we talked about peace being uh, possibly about the absence of war, possibly about peace of mind. And I think we could spend a little bit of time uh, thinking about peace of mind. And then I want to move on just to kind of foreshadow uh, this idea that peace is a bigger thing uh, in community as well. And so peace is often tied to the word shalom. And we can we can look at that. But when I think of peace of mind, I also think of inner conflict and the, the, the effect of inner conflict on sport and those things around sport, right? And as a coach, I am dealing with inner conflict a lot, right? You're dealing with those uh, student athletes, in my case, that are uh, going to class, uh, dealing with relationships, maybe even considering their interest in sport and particularly considering their identity in sport. 
And so when we think about peace, a lot of what we're trying to accomplish here is finding a place or a location for sport in a person's life and having that be healthy, having that be strong. And uh, you can imagine in, in formative times of life, that's, that can be very, very confusing. And, and to be honest with you, all throughout life, uh, the perspective on sport and our identity with sport can get out of whack. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a, it's a great way of looking at this, right? So as we, as we enter into deeper waters related to peace, right? The peace of mind here, as I would say, this intermediate level for us, I, I you know, you and I both work with college athletes and I, I, I teach many of them, um, and I'm reading reflections that they're making on their mm. lives right now. And so it's interesting that you bring this up, this topic up. You know, college athletes, I think, sometimes fall into a trap of what, what a sociologist might call role engulfment. Mm. That is allowing one aspect of who you are, or one role that you fulfill in life to consume everything else or your entire identity. And there's there's some real pitfalls related to role engulfment, uh, especially in the world of sport, because if, if you see yourself first and foremost, and really just primarily as an athlete, boy, that's a really, a really sort of tenuous uh, mental space to, to inhabit because of the ways in which so much then of your, of your self-value relies upon your success in what you're doing, right? If, if, if you see yourself first and foremost as a lacrosse player, primarily you are a lacrosse player. Well, if you're not playing well as a lacrosse player, you know, what self-worth do you have? And so it's very difficult, I think, the, the ways in which college athletes get trapped into some of this engulfment, I think. And then, and, and that leads to a lack of peace. And I would say also there are, there are so many transitions, as you alluded to, for, uh, for elite athletes, especially at the college level. There's, this is a finite period of time when you can, when you can see yourself as, uh, you know, an athlete. And then at some point in time, you retire. So I, I'm working with a lot of senior student athletes right now in one of my classes. And so I'm asking them to reflect on their lives. And it's, it's, it's really interesting to, for me to read through how they describe themselves and their identities and what they stake their claims on, what, what it is that gives them meaning in life. And so much of that has been sport in such intense ways. I had a student that wrote something about uh, um, uh, not being able to attend uh, homecomings uh, in high school or never having family vacations in the summer because this particular sport took up the entire time. I mean, the family's resources, all their time. That's clearly role engulfment. And now the student is a senior and, and will, you know, will essentially retire and there won't be a lot of opportunities to play recreationally this particular sport after college. So all of that changes. And I'm thinking about the ways in which uh, it would be really difficult for this student athlete to, to have peace through all this process because of the ways in which this sport took up so much time and so much of the student athlete's identity was based on this particular sport. And now that's going to leave this person's life in a very dramatic fashion, you know, come two months from now. And so all these disruptions, I think, would would basically exclude the student athlete's ability to have peace of mind, I would say. I mean, I, I think there are moments within there, but but to think about transitions and how you're changing and how there might be peace through all that, but this is just a, a really difficult set of circumstances. So I, I wanted to share that, but Brian, I, more than anything, I think related to peace of mind, I want to hear from the golf coach. Hmm. I want to hear from the guy whose who's sport takes place in the tranquil <laughs> meadows of <laughs> spring and summer and sometimes fall and the, the lovely weather, all of that. that t- 
Talk to us, oh, Coach Bolt. Oh, boy. Yes. Uh, it does appear peaceful. The birds are singing, right? The the gentle breezes, the the babbling brook. Uh, what could be better? In fact, people choose to to find places like that to to find peace, right? To find a, a, a comfortable, tranquil kind of experience. And yet we bring intensity and conflict uh, into that moment by adding a little white ball and a bag full of sticks uh, and a lot of fr- and a lot of frustration, right? Um, so yeah. I, I, maybe I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but I, I uh, you know, obviously attend a lot of uh, and coach at a lot of golf tournaments, and there might be 40, 50, 80, 90, 100 players on the golf course, right, around a set of golf courses, and the way I look at it, it's it's a hundred guys having a bad day. Uh, golf is inherently mm. frustrating. And there's not a player that taps in on 18 that doesn't feel a certain level of uh, missed opportunity, regret. It's just a game uh, that seeks perfection that can never get there. Uh, and that the, uh, the ways to uh, push off the blame are limited. Right, so you can blame the refs in basketball, right? And I just heard it uh, a recent yeah. uh, high school basketball game. Not for me. Not for Not you. Not for me. No, no. A recent high school basketball game. You know, I was uh, talking to a mother who was driving her, you know, ninth grade son's home. Right, uh, you know, a, a car full of ninth graders, and the whole way they were complaining about the refs. Right, we took the loss, and it's just <laughs> yeah. what you do. You're like, oh, we would have won if only, right? The refs hate us, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And in uh, other sports, too, you can kind of blame your teammates. You can even blame mm-hmm. your coach. I'm hoping our players aren't spending a lot of time blaming their coach. I'm really hopeful <laughs> that they're not doing that. But ultimately, in golf, like it is pretty... Um, central to who you know what you've done you're you're out there and the ball's out in front of you it's not moving uh and your job is to put it up on the green and tap it in so uh without a doubt there are some inner conflicts that happen in sport one of my favorite things to do is to work with student athletes in that space uh one of uh, as a coach one of the things that i do is i choose an athlete and i will walk all 18 holes with them and that um, gives me an opportunity to get into their uh, mind a little bit, to understand how they think. We have conversations back and forth during four to five hours worth of competition. And uh, it helps me get to know them, what their fears are, what their anxieties are, what, the, what their confidence level is. And as in every sport, I think Joe Montana said, uh, confidence is fragile, right? And uh, confidence is essential. The ability to to play free and play with confidence. It's just such an interesting blend of mind, body, and spirit, right? Um, in in all athletics, in all sports, uh, but I get to see it on the golf course. Um, and what we're looking for is maybe peace, uh, maybe structural peace, maybe... At least with a with a uh, lowercase p in this case, right? We're looking for that opportunity to say, uh, if the ball doesn't go in the direction that I want it to go, I'm okay with that. I'm going to go find it. And I'm going to play from there. Uh, and that is that's a hard thing to do. You want to control all of your life, but you've got to be free enough to let your body do what it can do 
and then live with the consequences. And so much of that uh, does parallel uh, some of the things we do in life. So uh, it is a it's it's a lot of um, rethinking um, and trial and error in terms of how we do that. But I I actually do love the process of trying to find inner peace in competition in and around competition. Hmm. So let me tell you when I feel uh, what I feel when I tap the ball in on the 18th hole uh, from, from a, a sure. non golfer yeah. here. And usually it, it's a tap because it's taken me, you know, five to eight putts <laughs> to get the ball anywhere near the hole anyways, from <laughs> being on the green. <laughs> okay. I feel, I feel peace after tapping the ball in mm. the 18th hole because yeah. that means I'm done. That means I can move on to other things. And I think there's a process within golf that is really frustrating for me. Again, as somebody that admittedly knows that I I shouldn't be entering the golf course with any type of expectation because I play so rarely, right? And so I think, so for me, there, there's a piece that comes from, from finishing. I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but I would say the same thing about running. I feel, I feel peace of mind after I've finished a, a hard run or a hard workout. Uh, of any type, even, whether I loved the activity or not, there's something about um, the the feeling of 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 completion of something, something physical, that that provides some peace. You know, uh, uh, sitting at the restaurant, the the 19th hole restaurant, whatever whatever they call it, at the end of a golf course, wherever wherever you are, you know, there, there's something that's sort of satisfying in a, in a peaceful way about having completed, even if I was terrible, right? I I, I got through it. I persevered through all of my own um, lack of, of skill and ability. But even in sports where I feel more competent, I still feel like after I play, there is, there's something, there's a peace. It's almost like, the, almost like the world slows down. Everything slows down. My mind is in better order. Um, yeah. You know, psychologists talk about this type of feeling. I think it's there. I think there's something about the peace that, um, and, and someone, as someone who cares deeply about sort of the intrinsic value of sports and play, you know, like you and I do, um, I'm feeling a little bit, um, a little bit, ah, oh boy, what's the word I'm looking for? The fact that I, I feel great peace after I participate is, is, uh, is a little bit confusing to me here. Why, why that would be such an important thing or why I, why I like that, because I want to say that there's a great peace in playing, right? I play basketball because life is good when I play basketball, so, right? Yeah. So, so there's yeah, there's something about the piece afterwards. I love where you're going with this because this is how I talk about golf, and this is the individual difference of of sports, right? So, some sports, and and having been a multi-sport athlete myself, uh, I can I know what it feels like to play basketball and just be in the zone and love to play. And when the lights go off, I'm like, I w- I wanted to keep playing, right? There's there is uh, mm-hmm. I found more joy in the actual game. And you're talking about, in this case, um, recreational golf, but it's also true, and I work with my athletes, they feel the same way. They feel ex- they're very good at golf, hmm. and when they tap in on 18, and so what I call it is a completion sport. Uh, and I relate it to hmm. touching uh, the wall in swimming. I relate it to breaking the tape in, uh, in marathon running, where the engagement is so intense so, uh, I would say inherently challenging and frustrating that the idea is to, to just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. 
and I say, I think the word you, or one of the words you might be searching for is just satisfaction. Where is the satisfaction mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of this sport? And in some sports, I do feel it more in the middle of it. To be honest with you, I played football and I was uh, thrilled when it was over. And I felt this feeling of satisfaction. I didn't want to keep playing football when the clock struck zero. I always want to keep playing basketball. I always want, I mean, there are certain sports and maybe this is a bit more personal, but there are certain sports you like the joy is more embedded in the moment. And there are other sports where the joy is more embedded in the completion, in the satisfaction of accomplishment in the end. Um, And so what I'll tell my players is at the end, I need you to be mentally, emotionally, and physically exhausted, right? That's the amount of energy I need you to put into this. And in any case, like if you're doing that, uh, it's going to drain you. It's going to drain you to a certain point. Mm -hmm. But that satisfying feeling afterward is hard to replicate. It's really interesting how we don't even quite have words to describe what that feels like to complete something. And and maybe we could borrow from an artist who grinds away at something and then ends up with like a finished product, a finished piece, and you know it's finally done. That doesn't keep giving in the same way, like your hands are not on the object. But the feeling of that completion or that accomplishment continues to give. And I think sport has that space a little bit. And I love how you brought that back to peace, this idea of peace. Well, so we have a few minutes. Let's see if we can just uh, push this a little harder. Uh, Biblically, this this notion of peace is so rich uh, that it even encompasses this idea of salvation. Jesus was the prince of peace. Uh, salvation, and the word I mentioned before was shalom. And I think the best way to des- describe that, I'm borrowing from an uh, author named Plantinga who said, you know, when we think about shalom, we think about the way things ought to be. And we all know when we wake up in the morning to when we go to bed at night, we experience things not the way they ought to be. There may be uh, some structural issues that uh, we're contending with, it might be inner inner peace or lack of. Uh, it may be a relational concern. Uh, it may be some sort of injustice that's happening. And in our faith, uh, this author would describe it, you know, we uh, are working alongside to help move things in this redemptive world after Jesus Christ to the way things ought to be. We are moving closer to the way things ought to be or we are engaging in the project And I think that's often the good work that we're attempting to accomplish in life. And I'm just going to, I'm going to put a tough question to you, uh, Chad. How do you think that that applies potentially to sport? Hmm. Yeah, that is a tough question. You're, you're referring to planting a a Calvin person. I, I love some of the ways in which Calvin faculty members past and present have, have articulated some of the the moral landscape of of Christianity mm. through some of their work, and this makes a lot of sense with shalom being sort of the way things ought to be. And really, we're talking about a piece that that passes understanding, right? The piece that passes understanding. And so, I think there there's the fact that sport is um, so easily pulled into sort of uh, um, inimical waters, meaning that there we we see the opponent as the other, we're, 
we're structuring something in a way that um, that tears at whatever piece is currently there because we're we're pitting entities against sort of scarce resources or or very difficult challenges or both and and so there's there there might be an inherent lack of of peace there and it's funny because uh, so even aristotle says something like you know it would be absurd to he's talking about mm. politics here it would be absurd to set up you know to create enemies where among friends that would be that would be a, a, a ridiculous thing to do but that's exactly what <laughs> games are right we we sort of we pit people who know each other against each other as as enemies and so i think sometimes you know sports sets things up to be unpeaceful at first and again maybe i'm talking about peace in a more shallow way but i do think that maybe the what you're talking about brian or what you articulated so well about the the peace of completion and the satisfaction that comes with completion is maybe some sort of glimpse, however momentary, of of the kingdom at hand. Mm. And and I say that to that if if we've given everything that we have to a particular task, the result, whether it's it's a, a successful or less than successful result, but the fact that we've we've gotten to a state of completion. And are therefore exhausted, as you ask of your athletes. And I've done the same thing with my basketball players. I say the joy is in the effort. You got to put in the effort. That's where the, you know, the peace comes afterwards. That there is, there is the momentary feelings of of what a deeper peace might, what what we might be experiencing with a deeper peace. But I think that's a very fleeting feeling at the end, right? So so you you tap in on eighteen, and you put your sticks back in your bag, you put the ball back in your bag, and you're walking back to the clubhouse. There's there's a feeling there. But oftentimes, so quickly, something new enters our mind that that sort of brings us back down to earth, out of the clouds, so to speak. Um, so I guess that's the that's maybe my best answer to your questions. I think that there might be a fleeting uh, feeling of of what it's like to experience that that type of shalom, peace. But again, I, w- I don't I don't want to be blasphemous here. I, I do want to say that uh, or reaffirm that I, th- I see that as being a fleeting thing and just a glimpse of of the kingdom at hand. No, I love the. I'm curious if you're. No, I love the then. way you said, uh, and you gave the phrase "the kingdom at hand." And I think um, one of the things that we often talk about that we don't uh, back up entirely is this, because it's so self-serving. Is this idea that um, you know God requires excellence, right? Or God appreciates excellence? I mean, I, I look on any in any church in any. Uh, Christian university, their their vision statement is going to have something about, you know, being excellent. And sure, yep, yep. It's just interesting to me that 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 is pretty self serving, right? In the end, uh, it it works in our favor to to be able to do that. And what I think you were pointing to as well is just this idea of process and uh, bringing um, that to the forefront instead of the product or alongside the product and this aspiration of process and how we live in this process and we live in the already and not yet and as we think about sport it is a process that we sell right we we sell a space where we're working to achieve something in this case a contrived something right a game and uh, the process of pursuing excellence 
brings the satisfaction and brings the value. And uh, with that, we get uh, a, a sense of progress, right? Progress in, in a direction, in a kingdom direction. And so I do like that there, it, uh, the way that you and, and other authors have talked about this as well, just where's the joy of sport, right? It, it's in that, that pursuit, that going after. Um, and if it weren't there, we wouldn't keep doing it. But something in sport speaks to us, and we continue that pursuit. Um, and it's very human. It's, it's, uh, it seems to be right where we want to be in that game. And so I, I do feel, in some ways, a redemptive value in that, right? Um, again, uh, wanting to try to tie this as best we can to uh, larger concepts. And so I, I think uh, this has uh, been more, every time we get into this, Chad, it, it, uh, it kind of leads us down paths that, uh, like you said, it, it might be illumination and it might be blasphemy. We're not sure. But uh, what a fun conversation. <laughs> um, fortunately, it's just between me and you, right? Nobody else is, oh, that's right. We're going to put this out there. That's right. Yes. We have listeners. Yes. Yeah. So uh, thanks for engaging in this conversation. Do you, do you have a final thought before we sign off? I think we've run into our, our, our time limit. Yeah. Peace, shalom, uh, development and progress. I love that word that you said too, Brian, progress towards, you know, towards that to which we, we aspire, I think can, can be so, um, can be so satisfying. I think we've used a lot of words, maybe not synonymously with peace, but that help us maybe explore what that 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 deeper level of, of shalom type peace uh, might be like, and so, in that sense, I think we've yeah we've we've made some progress. This has been a peaceful conversation in that sense. Then, right? We're, we're if we're working towards that which we aspire to, peace, brother, peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Sport Faith Life podcast, a conversation at the intersection of sport and faith. Read the corresponding blog post and learn more about us at sportfaithlife.com. Listen to more of our podcasts on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and follow us on social media to stay up to date with everything sport, faith, 